Hey y'all, welcome to Young, Black, and Healthy, where we talk about the health within our community. We're your hosts, Aisha Williams, Marcia Ekoramadu, and Jonathan Leonard. Enjoy! Carmen Carruthers. She's a third year um, PhD student at University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. She also holds her BA in psychology from Vanderbilt as well as a MED in childhood studies from Vanderbilt University. So today we're going to talk about child development um, and we're interested to get her perspective on that. Uh, So I'm going to pass it to my co-hosts and see what they think of that. Marcia, what do you think of child development? Oh my goodness, um, uh, I don't know what comes to my mind when I think of child development. I I don't have any children right now. I have I do have nieces and nephews, um, and I know that uh, of you know my family members or friends that have children, a lot of concerns are early childhood development, kind of meeting those milestones. Are they walking? Are they talking? Are they expressing feelings at the right points in time? So that's mostly what comes to mind. And I'm interested in learning more about it today. And I thank uh, Carmen for being uh, on the show. Yeah, and and also, uh, I'm looking forward to hearing about autism uh, because it's uh, something that's kind of misunderstood and I think it affects a lot of people in the African-American community. And we don't necessarily know, number one, what it is, and two, uh, what resources there are for families who deal with um, individuals who have autism so that's I'm looking forward to hearing more information about that so thanks Carmen for joining us today no problem so for me when I um, think of childhood development I kind of think of you know how they say nurture nature versus nurture and stuff like that I kind of think of just that the foundation of just the child the, the upbringing of the child um, but, you know, I'm not the professional, so I'm not really sure. <laughs> but I'm excited Carmen is here to kind of shed some light on some of the developmental um, issues that arise or and things like that to help us. So we're going to go ahead and get started. Can you tell us a little bit more about yourself, Carmen? Go ahead and introduce yourself. Sure. So I am a third-year school psychology doctoral student. Um, I got into autism kind of by accident. So during my master's program, I was doing or studying child studies, and then I wanted to leave with a stamp on my forehead, so I started working towards a certification in behavior analysis. And so um, oftentimes with behavior analysis, while you can work with a wide array of populations, a lot of the times it's connected to autism. And so I was doing um, behavior reduction plans for kids with autism who had some really severe behavioral crises, and their families were kind of on their last leg and trying to really find out what to do with their kids. So um, that's how I got into autism per se. And then um, also in North Carolina, in order, oftentimes behavior behavior analyst had to be supervised by a psychologist. And I didn't want to be supervised. So I said, hey, I just become a psychologist. And so that's where I am now. 
So, Carmen, tell us what the definition of autism is. Sure. So, um, autism is classified as a neurodevelopmental disorder that affects a person's ability to communicate and interact with others. So, um, when we think about autism, we think of it as deficits in social communication and social interaction, as well as um, there's also this piece where you have to have a pattern of restricted and repetitive behaviors or patterns of behaviors, um, interests, and activities. So what does this look like? It could look like not engaging in back-and-forth conversation, um, not engaging in interactions with others or making eye contact, and then restricted patterns of behavior could look like lining up objects or toys, having to adhere to um, a particular routine, or um, having odd interests. So things like memorizing the New York Yankees roster and stats from 1980. And so that's how we would look at autism between those two categories. So I'm not considered autistic, but I just don't feel like talking back to somebody, right? (laughs) (laughs) No, I would hope not. (laughs) No, we wouldn't wouldn't diagnose it just based on uh, one symptom or one category of symptoms. Okay. So I can go into, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, when you say early childhood, is there a specific age range or where where parents should kind of look out for symptoms or look out for um, some of the signs, or is it until, you know, you're an adult? Yeah, so you can start seeing signs for autism before the age of two, but oftentimes parents don't really start seeing the symptoms come to light. Um, until around the age of three or four or sometimes as late as adolescence. Um, But there are signs that um, will be there. So you'll be looking for whether or not your child is making eye contact, whether or not they're pointing to things or using gestures like waving goodbye or blowing a kiss. Um, You'll be looking to see if they interact with you or if they interact with their siblings or other um, peers. Um, and again, that can be kind of hard to read, especially if you're on your first child and you don't really know what to be looking for, but the signs will definitely be there if they do indeed have autism. Hmm. So going back to even before the child is born, are there things that parents can do, um, that can increase, uh, their child's chances of, uh, getting autism or having autism? Yeah, so there are some risk factors that we know of, but we don't really know what causes autism per se. So some risk factors would be um, already having a child with autism. You're more likely to have a second child with autism. Um, Another risk factor is maternal age. So the older you are, the higher at risk you are for having a child with autism amongst, you know, many other things. and the, so those are the two biggest risk factors that come to mind right now. But again, because we don't know what causes autism, it's kind of difficult to give advice or, or really forecast whether or not your child will have autism before, you know, they come out. Okay. So once a child is diagnosed with autism, what can um, parents do to support their child? There are lots of things. So the first thing would be talking to your primary care provider so they will know or they should know, um, of different resources in the community um, that you can't take advantage of. Um, They can also give you a referral to someone who is more well-versed in autism. So 
um, oftentimes pediatricians, they have to know a lot, and so they may not specialize in autism per se. But um, if you want to see a medical doctor, you could um, get a referral to a developmental pediatrician, to a child neurologist, or to a child psychiatrist um, who should have a little bit more training in autism. Um, another thing is to um, get connected to various therapies. So we know autism affects social communication um, as well as social interaction. So some things you can look for are speech therapy services. Um, again, a lot of kids with autism have delayed language development. Um, so that would be a great therapy to, therapy to seek out. Another therapy is occupational therapy. So sometimes kids with autism have difficulties with um adaptive living skills, so things like brushing their teeth or getting dressed um, or using the bathroom. Um, an occupational therapist could help with all those things, and they would also help with things like um, sensory sensitivities. So sometimes kids with autism um, can be affected by really loud noises, um, can be affected by the feel of clothes or the feel of or the textures of foods, um, and an occupational therapist can help um, decrease some of those sensory sensitivities. Um, another thing is physical therapy. So if your child has delayed growth motor milestones, think walking, um, standing, all those things, um, the physical therapist could help with those. And then finally, the gold standard intervention is applied behavior analysis or ABA. Um, good news is that ABA services are beginning to be offered in a lot more settings and also Medicaid um, is also beginning to cover ABA services. Um, and so what ABA is, is a structured, a very particular structured way of teaching um, and, in, and reinforcing behaviors that you want to see and decreasing behaviors you don't want to see. Um, and they typically, or the service can typically occur at home, in the clinic, um, at school, at church, different community settings. Um, and that's really the most recommended treatment for kids with autism is ABA. Okay. And is, you said ABA. What, what does that stand for? Yeah, so it stands for Applied Behavior Analysis. And it's typically administered by a um, behavior therapist who is under the supervision of a board-certified behavior analyst. And that's really important because you want to make sure the services you are getting are um, delivered by a certified uh, individual who is certified <laughs> in that area, right? So, mm. um, just knowing those terms would help. Okay. So with for families that uh, have someone that's autistic, what, what are kind of the short-term and long-term impacts of, of that, of having autism in their family as far as maybe financially or just other stressors maybe? Uh, could you talk about that? Yeah, so that's kind of a harder question to answer because um, when we think about um, autism, we think of it as a spectrum disorder, meaning there's going to be a, a wide presentation of the disorder. So you'll have some kids who are highly are high functioning, can talk, um, have friends, even though there may be some difficulties, they can complete their activities of daily living. They're pretty much independent. And then you have some um, kiddos who um, need a high level of support. And so it really depends on where your kid is on the spectrum. There's a saying saying, um, that goes, once you've met one kid on the spectrum, you've met one kid on the spectrum, just because they're so different from one another. Um, 
But for those um, kiddos that are more severely impacted, um, the cost could be high. So ABA services, um, while insurance companies are beginning to cover it more, um, it requires a lot of hours. And so they recommend um, it sometimes as much as 20 to 40 hours a week of ABA services. Uh, that's almost like a full-time job for the kiddo. And then you also have to pay for it depending on how much your insurance covers. Um, so there's that. And then there's also um, just the sheer exhaustion of taking care of a kid who may need that high level of support and is not as independent as you would expect at a certain age. Um, and then there's also the effect on the, on the family unit. So siblings of children with autism uh, may sometimes feel left out or may sometimes feel like they are not getting as much attention um, because so much of the family life gets center on supporting that on that child um, with autism. And so I hope that answers your question. But again, it's hard to answer because they're so different. Right. No, that, that was a good answer. And it sounds like it just kind of depends, uh, you know, where your child is on the spectrum, how much support they would need. Right. Well, thank you. Thank you for all the great information, Carmen. Uh, I have a, a question. Do you find that the diagnosis of autism within minority communities are, uh, is there a disparity within diagnosing this? in those communities? So it's interesting. So currently the rates of children diagnosed with autism between, um, so if you look at African-American children and white children, it's almost equal, but the timing of diagnosis is where the disparity is. And so um, African-American children tend to receive a diagnosis about two years later than white um, kids do. And why that's problematic, of course, is because early intervention is so important when you're talking about autism. Early intervention can make um, just a wide difference, a huge difference in the outcomes later in life. Um, and so why is there that disparity? Um, kind of multifaceted, right? So we know within the black community, we can be distrustful of the medical community. And so we can be kind of hesitant to go in or when we see that something is wrong with our kid or we can explain it away as, oh, they're just a slow winner, they'll catch up or, oh, you know, my grandpa didn't talk until he was four or five, he'll be fine. Um, but again, what we know is that early intervention can make the world a difference in um, how much they can um, achieve later on um, in childhood. Um, and then, of course, you don't want your kid to struggle if they don't have to, right? Um, Imagine not being able to to communicate with those around you. And then just like that would frustrate us, that would probably frustrate a three- or four-year-old, too, who doesn't have a reliable communication system. Um, so another thing, of course, is also bias on behalf of clinicians and school professionals who are doing the referrals for an autism um, evaluation. And so sometimes we'll look at, African-American kids and just be like, oh, they're just misbehaving or, oh, they're just being defiant or, oh, they just want control of the situation. And really, there's something deeper going on. Um, so, yeah, that bias and then also sometimes us having a different view of development and a different view of what is abnormal and normal and what's typical and atypical. Um, so a lot of things go into that. I think that 
two-year um, difference that you spoke of is very interesting because as you were speaking, uh, it made me think uh, because my my youngest brother, he didn't talk for a long time. And we were just like, what? I felt like he woke up and he just started talking when he was like five. And so our youngest sister came and like, it it was crazy. Like he he would do weird stuff. Like he would steal her bottles um, with our youngest sister and he just wouldn't talk. Um, But he talks now. um, And I don't know. Um, It's it's just really interesting because I know that his, uh, he plays video games and I'm not saying he has autism or maybe we have to investigate something here. But it's just that um, with nowadays, like his just, I, I, I think that's something for um, me to take back to my parents and kind of explore, too, just based upon his interaction or lack of interaction with us. Like, it's just always video games and stuff like that. Um, so, I, I don't know. That's just interesting um, when you spoke to that and when you spoke to um, just us not really, I mean, in the African-American community or minority community not really trusting uh, going to the doctors for certain diagnoses and then also with the students um, how they can be seen as aggressive or you know defiant um, when there's other underlying issues I think that's I think those are those are important topics to discuss too so just just the, my just me talking yeah definitely so there are of course red flags and of course like one thing in isolation doesn't scream autism necessarily but they are things to look for right mm-hmm. yeah and as a family um how uh, uh, just a family a sibling um no I mean a parent or a sibling how would you um mm-hmm. how do you advocate for someone in your family who has been diagnosed with autism yeah what? so there are many things you can do and I think one of the major things is just Knowing what your resources are, knowing who's on your team, and kind of being a squeaky wheel. Um, I think I'm not a parent yet, but what I hear from what I hear from other parents is that they know when something is wrong with their child, or they know when something is off. And so I would say follow that gut feeling. And um, if you see that your child is you're in these therapies, and you see if your child is not making progress, or your child, you know, the professionals are not showing you graphs or data that um, show that what they're doing is having any effect, don't be afraid to go go to them and say, hey, is there something else you can do? Is there another method or strategy you can try? Because from what I see and from what you're showing me, so-and-so is not making the progress that I believe they should. Um, of course, being um, realistic about the progress that they could be making, you know, you're not going to go from not talking to speaking necessarily in full sentences within two months. Is, is needed, but again, um, you are as much a part of the team, of the treatment team as the professionals are. You want equal footing with the professionals, believe it or not, regardless of their degrees and regardless of what degree you may or may not have. Um, at the end of the day, you're the expert on your child, and that's how the team should be viewing you. Um, another thing that can be done when it comes to the school system is that um, oftentimes autism can impact academic achievement, but not all the time. So um, one of the best ways to find out is to speak to your school psychologist. Um, If you see that, or if you suspect that their diagnosis, their autism is affecting their ability to achieve in the school setting, whether that means like socially with peers or academically, then you can request an evaluation 
um, in writing. And then the school psychologist will go ahead and see the ways in which the diagnosis or your child's condition is affecting how they perform in school. I make that distinction because just because you have a diagnosis of autism doesn't always mean you need an IEP. And that's an individualized education plan. Sometimes you can access the curriculum just fine, um, and sometimes you have a little bit more trouble and you need some accommodations. It's just important to know that distinction between having a medical diagnosis and then having an educational diagnosis um, of autism. So, Carmen, tell us a little bit about what you do outside of work and any special projects that you're working on. Yeah, so a couple of special projects. One is a social justice um, group that I have teamed up with other young adults uh, with across, I think we're all on the East Coast. And so it's called um, the Kaisenai, which stands for justice. And basically we just look at the ways in which the Bible addresses social justice or matters of social justice. Um, And then we go and visit churches and um, do some educational workshops and give them some tools um, and resources to make an effect in their community, right? Um, Another thing is I help out, again, all church-related, it seems, (laughs) um, help out with um, some behavior management strategies at my congregation with our kiddos and children's worship who may or may not have a diagnosis of autism or ADHD or any other behavioral um, diagnosis. So I try to help out where I can um, with the knowledge that I do have, even though it's always expanding. Um, and then those are those are like the two biggest things currently, yeah. Okay. Awesome. Well, we appreciate your time, and I know the audience appreciates the information as well. So thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, we appreciate oh, your no time. Problem, of course. Thank you. And where can, our, where can our listeners reach you if they have additional questions about autism? Yeah, so they can actually reach me on LinkedIn. And if you just search my name, Carmen Carruthers, I should pop up. Um, I can also be reached at, um, one of my emails, um, it's carmenecarruthers at gmail.com. Um, and so I think those are the two best ways to reach me. Perfect. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time and thank you for being here with us. Yes, Of course. Thanks for thinking of me. No problem. We appreciate you today. Thank you. All right. Thanks. So now with our final thoughts, we just had a great discussion with Carmen Carruthers um, as it related to autism and child development. So with that, we went over some of the ways that a a parent can advocate for their child, the resources out there that are available to them, as well as the gap in diagnosis. When I think about my takeaway from this discussion, what really stood out to me was um, just the gap, uh, the two-year gap as it related to the diagnosis. When you look at our community and you look at um, some of the examples that she gave as far as like, well, 
sometimes in our family, what we say is like, oh, well, my grandpa didn't talk until he was five, so they'll be all right. They'll be fine. Oh, that, that, that's just how they are. They'll grow out of it. Or when you look at the school systems and things outside the home and systems outside the home and they say, okay, well, your child may, that they're just being defiant. They just don't listen. And we write it off just as that when it can be an underlying issue. So it's just important for parents to kind of, you are the expert, like she said, for your child. You know your child better than someone else can tell you about your child. So just to be mindful of those things and to look out for the signs of um, autism at an early age with your child. So, yeah, th- those are my thoughts. Anyone else? Yeah, I, had a, I found it very interesting with the two-year gap between African-American children being diagnosed versus uh, white children. Um, and... You know, me, I, I always go back to kind of why that disparity might be there. And it may be, you know, in my mind, maybe it has something to do with the health, the access issue, um, being able to make it to the doctor's appointments to get the screenings and for the doctor to um, evaluate the child in, early, in the early years more frequently. Um, and so that's just something that within our community, again, it kind of goes back to, do we have proper access? Does the current access model work for our community or not? Yeah. And for me, it was the definition of autism, like what it actually is. Um, you know, it's a developmental disorder and it displays in different ways. And like uh, Carmen said, if you meet one child that's on the spectrum, you've met one child that's on the spectrum. Like kids have it in on in different ways. So you can have someone with severe autism. You can have someone that's you know pretty much highly functioning, uh, able to socialize, but they still have autism. I think a another form of it is called Asperger's syndrome. I did mm-hmm. a paper on it in college, so I remember that. But um, also how it kind of can affect you depending on where your child is on the spectrum. So, you know, the higher functioning kids are pretty much okay, but if you have a kid that is <clears throat> uh, has autism and it's, they're kind of on the higher scale, it's it requires more uh, resources. So they might have to have someone with them, you know, five hours a day or up to 40 hours a week, I think she mentioned. And that could be a challenge depending on what your resources are as a family. So just being able to be prepared for that and, uh, you know, making sure you have the right support system in place so your child can can thrive with that. So, so. yeah, that I think that pretty much wraps it up. Yeah. yeah. All right, people. Have a great one. Bye, y'all. Enjoy. Thanks for joining us. Click the link in our info box to get more information about our guests. If you liked what you heard, please review us on iTunes and SoundCloud. If you have any questions about today's episode or just questions in general, please email us at youngblackhealthy at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Young Black and Healthy. Young Black and Healthy is written and produced by Aisha Williams, Marcia Ekoromadu, and Jonathan Leonard. Health is wealth.